Hey everyone, we're back again for another episode of Lessons of the Woods by Ten Point Whitetails. This episode is sponsored by Wallhanger Taxidermy of Cable, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Dylan Porter, and with me I have my co-host... Wait, that's not Kyle. Nope, this is Steve Daniels. You might know my uh, cousin, Rut Daniels, the popular one. I'm just his living in mom's basement um, uh, at home, watching him be successful, so... Uh, nice to be here. I kicked Kyle out, so uh, yeah. New new co-host I... for this show. Uh, so Steve Daniels, uh, <laughs> we're gonna be talking about pressure and white-tailed deer today, uh, and how that affects your hunt. That is point number six on our ten-point whitetails, ten points for a successful hunt or setting up your property, however you want to word it. Uh, so do you wanna do you got anything you wanna say about pressure there, Steve? Before we kick you out and get Kyle back. Yeah, sure. Pressure. Yeah, pressure. Um, well, I had a lot of pressure once from my mom. Told me to go to school. And uh, at Thanksgiving, you know, she's like, well, Brett's over there making videos and being all special and fancy and stuff like that. What are you doing, Steve? And I'm over there playing, you know, video games and stuff. It's a lot of pressure. Um, but besides that, um, yeah, I should probably get off the camera, shouldn't I? Possibly. Go get Kyle? Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, I, I, I'll go get him. Uh, thanks for uh, not, you know, taking me off earlier. So. Well, thanks for joining us, Mr. Daniels. Yeah. All right. Bye now. <laughs> uh, we got to have fun every once in a while, right? Hey, look. Tom. I am sorry. Uh, he locked me out and I couldn't get in the room. Uh, in my new studio room. So. Uh, apologize for that. Ah, that's fine. He seemed like a fine fellow. <laughs> he's a little, you know, he's been in the basement a little too long. So put it that way. Yeah. Well, it happens. But uh, all jokes aside, in light of Halloween, which this is going to come out a couple days beforehand, um, happy Halloween. That is my Rut Daniels uh, impersonation costume that I'm probably going to wear on Monday. So we thought we'd have a little bit of fun with Steve. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot, uh, yeah, and they, all you guys are going trick or treating and not hunting. You guys be safe trick or treating. Uh, we don't do that a whole lot up here. I think a little bit in town, but out in the country up here, it's normally too cold. I don't think we'll have snow this year, though. We have had years where we've had like a foot, foot, foot and a half of snow on Halloween. Sure, sure. Uh, we... Back in the day. We do a cool thing in in Cable where I'm from. It's called trunk or treat. Okay. We don't go to people. We don't go to people's houses, knock on doors, but all vehicles park out in a public parking lot, grocery store, gas station. Pop the trunks, candies in there. Everybody's decorated and danced up and dressed with cool and scary costumes. And it's kind of a nice way to moderate, monitor your kids and get them their candy and get the experience and um, fire departments and- involved. In a, safe, in a safer environment, they're not going yeah, and knock, knocking on somebody's door who they shouldn't be knocking on. Yeah, there's some there's some people out there that, you know, shouldn't be involved. So it's it's cool. It's a fun thing to do. But we had snow a week ago. Yeah, um, we, we had a little dusting one day this week, but it melted by 2 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far in here, do you want to quickly tell us about the 10-point whitetails buckboard? Yeah, so there, I'm actually shocked by this, let me say that. I found out after me and Dylan talked about having a hosting this buckboard, you know, what is a buckboard? And I realized that 
northern Wisconsin in the the bar scene, buckboards is a common thing. We all know what it is, but you go south in Wisconsin or you go over to Minnesota and, and buckboards are not um they don't happen as often. So um what a buckboard is is you you sign up for the buckboard, you pay a fee, five dollars, two dollars, ten dollars, whatever they whatever it wants. Usually an organization hosts it or around here a bar or local business. Um, we'll host it. You pay, you sign your name on there and, and there's up to like, you know, a hundred people or so. So what we decided to do is do an online buckboard COVID. And, and we wanted to get a greater spread rather than just in, in my hometown. So the buckboard is, is exactly that. You click the link that I assume will be posted with this video. You click on that link, you fill out the simple questions and it's basically the rules, you know, um, and you fill out that link and then you Venmo, uh, K Weber 05, which is my Venmo. Um, I'm accepting all of those entries. And then when you fill out that form, it goes to a spreadsheet that Dylan manages. Um, it's based on your points and your spread. If you have a 10 point buck that scores 20 and then it's 20 inches wide, you got 30 points and that's inside spread. Um, and the points obviously have to be one inch to count um we're going to be kind of thorough with our pictures you got to send a picture of your left your right and then your inside spread with preferably a tape measure there so we can judge that um there's some rules obviously if you fudge the points or fudge the spread we're gonna we're gonna call you out and probably disqualify you but it's a fun way to get buck comparisons mm-hmm. um online you know and some of the guys i know are like well buffalo county is going to win it well, I don't think anybody from Buffalo County has entered yet. So uh, yeah. it's, it's a good chance. Um, you have to register before November 4th at midnight, 1159. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes from the 5th to the 27th and obviously midnight to midnight. So uh, first prize is a $500 and we'll pay that out via Venmo. Um, hopefully that helps you get your shoulder mount or pays for part of the shoulder mount. Second place is a Tacticam reveal camera. And then third place is a $50 payout also. Um, but what we're trying to do is get to the random drawings that even if you don't harvest a deer, you could still win. Domain has donated. So we really appreciate that. They put a big box together, seed, hoodie, hoodies, hats, stickers. Um, so we're just going to randomly draw on a, a number generator to get um, maybe something that doesn't harvest an animal but did enter. A chance to win something and and i've reached out to a bunch of people the more entries we get the more value we have in the entries um the more prizes and stuff we're gonna buy and then um uh give away so it's gonna be fun you do have to send the pictures via email or facebook messenger um with two bucks tie if there's two 10 pointers 20 inch spreads um it's the one that registered with us first so who so who sent us the photos first wins mm-hmm. and then obviously the next one will get second so um i welcome everybody to get on there like i said it's the fourth is the last day you can register and we're gonna start a countdown here soon um but get on it it's, it's five bucks but the more the merrier i'd like to see a couple hundred people on there and really see the different bucks harvested through that time and that time frame is actually built because or we picked that time frame because it's the opening day for Minnesota gun all the way through to the last day of Wisconsin gun. Mm-hmm. 
So it gets both rifle seasons. Yeah. Um, but it's not limited, not limited rifle, any weapon, as long as, as long as it's a legal harvest. So if you legally harvest the animal, you don't get in trouble. You t- be honest with the points and be honest with the spread you're in. So uh, we'll accept all entries, you know, within those parameters. So it's gonna be fun. And then I think next year, if this goes good, next year we'll do a bow one. Next year we'll do a gun season one again, and we'll we'll reach out earlier for for donations and and companies to be involved with. But uh, right now this is kind of like a ten point. We'll list them, but ten point whitetails domain, you know, Tacticam. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yes. just a quick thing we kind of threw together. Uh, not as much prep time as we had, probably should have had for something like this, but it, the more people that enter, the better right now. Because uh, then we can really get some extra prizes out there for the random drawings. Uh, and plus, we get to see people's deer, and who doesn't want to see that? Who, wants to, who doesn't want to brag? Exactly. Said they should, say they shot the biggest yeah. one. There you go. So, everybody's welcome. If you have any questions, the flyer is on our Facebook page. My number's on there. Our email's on there. Reach out, whatever you want to do if you have any questions. We've had some people reach out and, you know, ask and uh, happy to answer it and happy to get you on there. So, Absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, with that taken care of, we're going to jump into what we're talking about tonight, which is pressure. Uh, pressure on whitetail deer can seriously affect how they move. We've had... Uh, in the, I mean, just briefly here in the past, we've had bucks or deer that were pretty well patterned, but then a group of timber wolves runs through the area the night before you won't see a deer for two or three days, you know? So it really does depend on a lot of different factors. Yeah. So just pulling up my notes here. So the, the four things we got underneath predator pressure here is predator control, too many hunters, uh, sitting when the conditions are not correct and then educating your deer. Uh, so do you want to start with uh, predator control? Anything you want to throw in there? I, I could probably talk on the subject for an hour on how important it is to do predator control, but we'll let you well, lead off. I'd like to clarify this pressure isn't, isn't about the pressure of the, uh, oh, blank, barometric, barometric pressure. It's not that. It is the, the pressure that the deer feels when they're out and about from these things, from the hunters, from the predators, from uh, other deer, the social network that they have, that pressure, the, the anxiety that they we create with them. It's not weather pressure. Mm-hmm. So I just want to clarify that because pressure does also matter in hunting. But um, I think you should talk about predator control. So if you want to lead off with that, I'll stop you at 58 minutes and uh, go to the next one. Oh, predator control does so many things for your deer herd. Uh, starting out, just bare minimum, it helps your herd be healthier to have less predators. The more predators you have, the less fawns you're going to have, the less adult deer you're going to have, the more competition there is for the harvesting of the animals between you and the predators. In northern Minnesota, and I believe in northern Wisconsin, we have several different types of predators that are hard on white-tailed deer we have bobcats we have coyotes and we have timber wolves uh talked to a guy today actually who said timber wolves are actually moving out into the rugby north dakota area so that's fun north dakota's getting timber wolves i know montana's had them for a long time too actually i should post alongside with this or around the time after this comes out a picture of a 
coyote and a timber wolf that I have, uh, both harvested, hanging side by side. And the size comparison is unreal. Uh, coyotes will eat a lot of fawns. There's lots of trail cam photos of coyotes eating fawns. But the deer aren't necessarily as afraid of coyotes, the adult deer, because they know nine times out of ten they can outrun them pretty quick. Coyotes will kill deer. Not as much as timber wolves. Bobcats, the smaller ones, they're not as likely to go after a mature white tail. They're going to take the fawns, but they'll take fawns up to six, seven months old pretty consistently. Uh, we have had a couple of really big bobcats come through. Uh, one of my dad's tame bucks, Clyde, back in the day, came up to the farm or up to the feeder one day with uh, big scratch marks in his hind end. And a couple weeks later, we caught a 48-pound bobcat, which is massive, massive cat. He eats whatever he wants, and you can't stop him. Uh, Timberwolves, however, are the problem right now in our area, and I probably in your area too, if I had to guess. Uh, um, I'll say this. Two things. Okay. One, if, you, if you're driving down the road and here and you go i think i seen a wolf why do you think you seen a wolf because it's pretty it was pretty big it wasn't a wolf it was a coyote because when you see the wolf you go it's not about whether the coyote is a wolf or not it's that wolf is not a coyote and you know that so if you're like i think it was a wolf nine times out of, even a small wolf even a young wolf is still substantially bigger than a coyote yeah um but i'll say after being up with you um at your dad's hunting Absolutely not. Our wolf problem is nowhere near yours. Yes, we have a wolf problem. Yes, we have wolves. I think it's too many, and, and I think they do do some damage. But I was sitting in a stand at your dad's and heard the coyotes and the wolves go off. It was the most eerie, terrifying thing in my life. Here, you see a wolf cross the road because you somebody's driving, and everybody within 24 hours hears about it. Oh, seen a wolf on up, up by blah, blah, blah road. But if I if I'm sitting at home, and I heard what I heard at your dad's, my kids wouldn't play outside. My dog wouldn't go outside. Yeah. I mean, it is absolutely terrifying the amount of wolves you have. So no, I would say our our problem down here is not that bad, but it's definitely understated when it comes to DNR. We had a Wisconsin wolf hunt. They were supposed to go. What was it? Seven, seven days. On the third day, they shut it down because we were hitting the quota. Mm-hmm. And more got registered. It was whatever the quota number was. It almost like 50 or 60 more. And they shut it down four days early. So what is painted as a, a volume of wolves is is completely mistaken. But no, we are nowhere near what you, what you guys got. That's terrifying up there. So according to the Minnesota DNR, and I'm going to quote numbers from about the 2018 area just because I haven't looked up new numbers since. This could have changed. According to the Minnesota DNR, in 2017 or 18, there was 2,000 wolves in Minnesota's northern range, which means basically St. Cloud and up. 2,000 wolves. First off, I'd love to know how they got that number. Well, I know how they got that number. I took a class in college where they showed us how they got the how they go count sections and find out how many animals were in an area. And basically, what they do is they take their airplanes and they fly over. And then they'll go four or five miles over and fly over again, and they kind of crisscross across the whole state. That's a 
good way to get an estimate, but it's nowhere near a good way to get an accurate count. So they said there's 2,000 wolves in the state of Minnesota. Now, let's pretend that those numbers are accurate. They're not, but let's pretend they're accurate, okay? I'm going to go off on a tangent, sorry. But here we go. No, I have 2,000 wolves. <laughs> 2,000 wolves in the northern okay. ranges, not counting the south half of the state. I talked to a guy who raised wolves. He had a attraction that he'd bring to sportsman shows. He had four or five big timber wolves, and he raised wolves. These things were massive. He said a wolf to, need, to thrive, a wolf needs 10 pounds of meat a day. Okay, 10 pounds of meat a day. That's meat, not necessarily guts or entrails. So that's one deer per wolf per week. They get 30, 40 pounds of meat off a deer. They pick up a few rabbits and things here and there in between. They're eating about one deer per week per wolf. Okay. So with that in mind, that means 2,000 wolves, if that's the amount of wolves in the state, they're eating 104,000 deer a year in Minnesota. Okay. That's how much they need based off what my resources have told me. So that's a, that's a lot of deer. Now keep in mind, Minnesota's deer population tends to hover right around 600,000 animals. Okay? So 600,000 white-tailed deer. 104 We'll say 100,000 for easy math. 100,000 are taken out by timber wolves every year. We're down to 500,000. And then let's say hunters, I think rifle season in 2018 or 19 took 27,000 deer in one week in rifle season. We're registered. That doesn't count for gut shot deer that ran and were never found. It's just harvested. Okay. So that's 130,000 animals taken out of the herd. Uh, I know Wisconsin has a really bad problem with hitting deer with vehicles. Minnesota is almost as bad. The billboards I've seen in Wisconsin this year said 16,000 deer were hit by cars last year in the state of Wisconsin. Okay, so let's say 15,000 in Minnesota, give or take. So that's 145,000. Let's factor in another 5,000 killed by bobcats and coyotes. It's 150,000. And then if we factor in disease, other factors, that's probably another 10,000 and just random deaths, right? So it's 160,000 animals being taken out of a herd every year. That's adults, not counting fawns. That's adults. Of a population of 600,000, we're losing almost a third of the animals every year and we're expecting them to reproduce and keep up. That just doesn't, the math doesn't work. Math doesn't work. Wolves are one of the hardest animals on your deer herd out there. And that's if there's only 2,000 in the state of Minnesota and they're only eating one deer per week. If they're wrong and there's 3,000 wolves in the state of Minnesota, that's 150,000 deer being eaten by wolves every year. If there's 4,000, might be possible. That might be pushing it. I have no idea. I have no way of gathering these numbers. That's 200,000 deer being eaten every year in the state of Minnesota by timber wolves. Okay. So wolves are a problem. In the last five or ten years, we've seen quite a few of them up here, uh, but we still have a good deer herd. Uh, there was a guy two miles from my dad's place, probably four miles from right where I'm sitting. He had five wolves come through his trail camera. He had a video trail camera set. 
And the fifth one in line was a big pregnant female five, six, seven years ago. Kitson County alone lost 115 calves in 2017. That's cow calves to timber wolf kills. Those were reported and paid out by the state of Minnesota. If you talk to guys that hunt the north of Grand Rapids area, uh, north of Bemidji area, a lot of those guys will say they don't see deer anymore. They just don't because the wolves have gotten so bad. They used to be able to sit and see 20, 30 deer a night, no problem. Now they're lucky if they see five deer all season. They see more wolves than they see deer. There's guys in Lancaster, Minnesota. I don't know names, so I'm not going to call anybody out, but I've heard the story several times. Getting out of their tree stand, walking back to their truck, and there's a wolf behind them 30 yards. There's a wolf to the left 40 yards and a wolf to the right 40 yards. What does that mean? They're being hunted by the wolves when they're hunting deer. I've gone on walks in the swamp between here and my dad's place and stumbled across wolf trails that are thick. 10, 15, 20 wolves going through, or it looks like one wolf, or 10 wolves doing circles all night long. The hair stands on the back of your neck when you're coming across footprints that are as big as your hand, and it's a canine, and they are way faster than you, way stronger than you, and way hungrier than you are. That was muzzleloader season. That was sketchy because, like, I can only shoot one if they come after me. I'm not fast with a muzzleloader to get a bunch of them. It's a little bit of a tangent there. My number one no, I, with deer hunting is, is wolves. I do not like wolves. I have a, I have a little story for, for on the wolf factor, what you're saying about being hunted. I, I don't know about hunted, but talking about a curiosity thing on, on these animals, um, you talked to bear hunters that in Wisconsin, I don't know about by you, but bear hunters up here can run dogs for bear. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll say that they see a collar stop, and they're 10 minutes behind or five minutes behind the show up and there ain't nothing left. That's not a bear. A bear don't do that. Um, so I, I have a couple buddies and, and family that do uh, bear hunting with dogs and they run into that and they know, they know when they've ran into wolves and they know that they hear the dogs and see it's easy picking. They, 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 they know what they can do. So they, they get over there, they get set up and then basically they, pick on a, they pick on the last dog or, or whatever and and then they snap and they snap them like that but mm-hmm. um, I, one story I, I have is me and my brother going to bait some stands and there was an old logging road that went straight and then at 100 yards there was a trail that went down to a stand and then a couple hundred yards later there was another trail that went down to another stand that was my sister-in-law's and then farther down was my dad's and the last one was my my brother's himself and this was on public land we had to go feed so we all grab our buckets, you know, and we start walking down and we walk down the first one. And my brother goes, we're just going to cut through the woods because they're all in line. So instead of going back and forth, back and forth down the trails, we're going to cut through the woods and we're going to bait these and whatnot. Mm-hmm. This was before cameras. This was before all of that. Anyways, we go do, do that. We get to the last one. We walk up the trail to the road or the old logging road and start heading back. And we get to the last, what would be our first tree stand that we went to. And coming off the hill from up, comes down, hits our trail, and follows us down his wolf tracks. My brother looks down. He grabs me, puts me in front, and says, let's get to the truck. You know, he knows. I'm just like, what? You know. And we hustle back to the truck. We hop in the truck. And then 
it was like an old Chevy and you flip the key and the lights turn on eyes, 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 30, 40 yards behind us. Eyes, eyes, eyes. Now I don't think they just got there. I think when we took a left and went down to that first one, they were coming down, caught, sniffed, smelled, whatever. And they stayed that the whole way. We never had a clue. They were just checking us out, waiting for, waiting to decide if it's easy pickings, if it's worth it, what, what we're doing, what we're going for. Maybe checking the baits for the deer that are going to be there. But to flip them lights on, you see the eyes and they just, just ease back. To, like it's so total movie setup. But they were there and that's, that is literally terrifying. So the, um, pu- I, I, the pure arrogance and confidence that a wolf has is terrifying. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. They're, they're I'm not a fan. I don't know what we can do. I really was happy. I, I'm, it's fine they're there. It's fine they're here. But they should be managed. Mm-hmm. 90% of hunting is management, right? The whole point of the sport of hunting, we are the biggest advocate for any animal we hunt. Whether it's bear, birds, ducks, pheasants, deer, mule deer, and we're all about managing the herks. We want our kids to use it. We want our family to continue to use this resource. Mm-hmm. Way back when, they shot all the bison. Cause we're like, look how many there are. We'll, we'll never, we'll never shoot them all. Well, we, we almost shot them all. Thank God we had a decent president at the time that you know said we need to you know save these these animals in these areas is you know make them national national forests, national parks, and stuff like that. But it's about management, and I'll, I'll be that guy. DNR suck. Yep. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen between Wisconsin and DNR, and I'm not talking personal people. I'm not talking about the person working. I'm talking about the, the organization themselves. They absolutely suck. They are not out there to manage for a quality herd, whether it's deer. You're not out there to manage for quality animals like bear. They don't care. Mm-hmm. All they want is to get funding, financing, pay their bills, sell tickets or licenses. Yep. Tags. There's, whatever. There's no management. They don't have it anymore, but there's no, you can't tell me there's a management style behind giving Minnesota hunters, eh, probably 10, 12 years ago, 14 years ago, maybe now, an all season buck tag. Sure. 100 bucks, you can shoot, hunt a buck all three seasons. You can't tell me that's a management tool. Right. Why, how is that a management tool? And that's now, guys are going to be like, oh, yeah, I might need it, so I'll pay 100 bucks. but then if I shoot my buck with a bow, well, I wasted $60. Mm-hmm. Not a management yep. tool. No, and I mean, I, I was at, I actually, I, I'm lying. I, I was not at the meeting, but uh, Batesville County had a um, conservation meeting. There's a, there's a board that's supposed to manage the Batesville County deer herd. And it's some local represent, representation, DNR representation to discuss how many tags we get, who hunts where, you know, what what areas need harvesting of does, what areas, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And somebody really put the pressure on a, a point limit, a point qualification for harvesting an animal. Yep. yep. Um, they talked about age requirement. You know, there was a bunch of QDM, quality deer management things brought up. And, and I believe if it wasn't the DNR, DNR represent, the representative, it was somebody else that said, we will never manage Wisconsin deer herd based on a quality of animal. And I, it just flabbergasts me that they'll openly say, we're not here to manage and give you the best herd you possibly can. We're here to collect license fees, 
to get you in trouble and charge you for whether your bow's in a case, your gun's in a case, whether you've got a tree stand, whether you're putting three kernels over two gallons out, whether you're using dough urine. I mean, get me on, get me on a tangent about it. <laughs> it's total crap. And if I had any bit of time, I'd be up trying to be part of that representation, but I got enough boards to be on. Um, but, Getting a little off topic, but yeah, yes, we can both yeah, agree. Oh my Lord. We'll, we'll have a Minnesota DNR episode one day about all of our gripes. Just DNR, not Minnesota. Minnesota, Wisconsin DNR. Just DNR. Uh, so there's, okay, there's so. so much that I can complain about, but we don't have time for that today. One day. Listeners, it's coming. We're going <laughs> to unload. We'll both have a bad day. Yep. We'll give yep. it. Uh, okay, so pressure. We got predator control. Biggest thing you can do is take care of your predators, whether it's snaring, trapping, uh, every coyote you take out is good. Minnesota, I think I said this on here before, you can shoot them or trap them or kill them any way you want. Almost any day of the any day of the year, almost any time of day, I believe you can shoot them after dark if you're using the equivalent of a shotgun. Don't quote me on that. Read the rules yourself. Don't get a ticket because I said something. <laughs> but what about bears? Bears. Uh, our zone is no. Want... See that? So what? <laughs> bears eating deer. Yes, bear bear will eat deer. Uh, a lot of times I've heard uh, they'll say bears are one of the only predators that can smell a newborn fawn. When a fawn is born, they're virtually scentless. Their mother cleans them up so good. She eats all the fecal matter. They are scentless. She eats fecal matter for a lot of reasons. We can cover that another day too. But they're very difficult to smell. They hold still. They'll let you step on them because they, they think they're hiding. Bears are one of the only animals that can smell them at that stage. Bobcats and coyotes need them to be a little bit older. They can't smell them as well. Bear, bear having an amazing nose. They can smell a kernel of fresh popcorn from a mile away. It's crazy. Uh, Minnesota, where we live, bears are no quota, which means anybody can buy a tag over the counter today. Well, not today. Season's over, but it, prior to season and in season, you can just buy a tag. Just get one. And over by me it's, it's even harder it takes almost 10 years to get a bear tag and that's crazy i think you have way more bear than we do um i have a lot of bear on the property and i've i've had the open door to you know i would actually like to i would actually like to guide bear hunt deer, hunters on the property just to just to eliminate the herd the the bear issue on my herd so um if anybody's hearing and, and do get their tag from wisconsin and they want to want to reach out to me i'd be i'd be more than welcome to uh support and guide um you gotta be careful with guide i don't know the word the rulings in wisconsin but in minnesota you have to i'll let you on my license. property there you right. go right i'll let you on my property you can harvest a bear off my property we have to get a tag how about that i think that works <laughs> i think in minnesota you actually have to have a guiding license to to probably here too guide bear hunts i would love so, to come hunt them with dogs though that sounds phenomenal we're not allowed to do that here in minnesota but that sounds like it'd be so much fun we hunted coyotes with dogs and guys listeners if you ever get a chance, go get yourself some coon hounds and, or running walkers, whatever, and hunt coyotes with hounds. There is nothing like it. It is so much fun. If you have any sort of ADHD and love hunting, this is the hunting for you because you are not bored. It's 20 minutes, and you're either shooting or you're moving, and it is the best. And I have to imagine it's got to be not too different with bear. 
I, I actually have never done it. I, uh, yeah, you know, dear, dear man. You kind of disappoint time. me sometimes, man. Yeah, yeah. Get on, <laughs> get online. So to summarize, to summarize, predators. You would say wolves are the biggest problem, yep. but every coyote you shoot um, is is saving another deer, basically. Mm-hmm. And your bears, even though they they may do it quietly, do take out a substantial amount of um, fawns. Fawns at, at that age, you know, and obviously bobcats. when they're full, and bobcats, yeah. which you know, if they you can... have, go ahead. I'll say if you have a wolf and you have a coyote and you have a bear, and you have a bobcat on camera, be happy if you have any deer on. Because that, and that's that's what we're talking about with pressure is, if you have all of those animals coming through, there's a lot of pressure on that deer not to look around the corner mm-hmm. and, and to be scared to come through this thick stuff and, and whatever. So um, I've seen it where the wolves or coyotes come through, and I get pictures of coyotes and wolves, and the deer are gone. And they're gone for seven days. Now, those deer move. They just dissipate. They don't want to be there. They don't want to hang out with them. So they move. And then when the wolves continue to meander through the woods, they will eventually come back. But if they, when they come back, there's a coyote chasing their butt, they're going to move again. And and so if you have those on camera, don't be surprised that you're not seeing any deer or be thankful that you see any deer if you do. So um, that's the pressure we're talking about. I mean, imagine something trying to kill you 24 seven. And that's exactly it. That's the reality that white-tailed deer live in. That's why they are so hard to hunt because everything is trying to kill them, whether it's coyote, wolf, bear, us, cars, yep. everything wants to kill a white-tailed deer because they're delicious. Uh, coyotes, yes. Side note on coyotes, there's been guys who set up trail cams over coyote dens. Uh, one guy in particular that I heard about, he counted 26 fawns being brought back to the coyote den in one summer. 26. That's really hard on your next year's deer herd. Yep. So, yep. especially especially if does are having one fawn and they're not, you know, doing twins or even, you know, that's that that puts a dent on it. So, what uh what's the next one for pressure? Pressure, too many hunters. We see that here. Definitely. Yep, we see that here during rifle season. Um, so it's too many hunters, but imagine you're a deer sitting in the woods. Been all summer. You've avoided the wolves. You've avoided the coyotes. You've avoided the bears. And all of a sudden, this quiet, beautiful wood set, woods that you've been living in and you know living the, living the life with, you hear, you hear a truck door slam. You hear metal clanking around that you've never heard before. You hear people at the gun range blasting off the rifles. All that stuff create, you know, y- y- there's a couple times. It's the opening day of bow season and it's the week before gun season. Those noises, those disturbances go crazy up during those weekends and those deer notice that. And when it comes to too many hunters, if you go the weekend before gun season, and you go set up six stands on what 40 acres that's insanity them deer are going to vacate immediately they're going to go to the place that there is no pressure and now if they go over there and then the next weekend hunters come in and do that over there they're going to bail back out of there and and if this whole area is too much 
they'll, they'll vacate the whole area. They'll, they'll totally relocate. Um, so when we set up the property, one, I have three tree stands on 94 acres and I have one hunter and that's me. Mm-hmm. Based on what I have on camera, I can't afford to shoot two deer this year. I can't, I can't, if I shoot two deer this year, that's too many. I'm hurting myself, but I have three stands on 94 acres and I'm one hunter. I would like to get a herd that I could, that I could manage big enough that my son and my daughters and maybe a friend, we could, we could all harvest an animal out of there without completely ruining next year. Um, but when we're talking about setting up a property, you have to really think about what's realistic and what's out of touch. When we meet with somebody, we go, well, how many, what's your goals? How many hunters do you want to occupy during the hunting season? Do you want to shoot one during with bow and then go shoot one with your gun? Is your wife going to do it? Is your husband going to do it? Is your dad going to do it? You know, and you have only six deer or 15 deer on camera and you're going to go shoot five or eight of them. That's, that's too many. And mm-hmm. it's harder to manage that deer herd or, or up the quality of your deer herd. If you're having too many hunters on too small of a property, if your deer herd, if your property can only hold a certain amount of deer herd, you can only harvest technically so many. And that we're, our, our rant about DNR is that we need to manage our property. Um, I'm counting four to eight does. That includes fawns. So some of them are probably button bucks and four to six bucks, none of which are over two years old. Mm-hmm. That's what 94 acres is holding right now. Now, I don't think I have a good volume to the to the acreage. I mm-hmm. think the property needs some severe improvement to hold more deer. But um, if you can't hold more deer, you can't hunt more deer. So that's why one of our steps is goals. What? How many people do you want to hunt? And we'll try to make a happy medium. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to shoot ten deer each year because five of my buddies want to shoot one for bow and five of my buddies want to shoot one for gun going to have a hard time getting a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a hard time with it. Unless Some you got 30 deer on your property year-round. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, even more, if you're down in uh, the middle of Wisconsin and whatnot, you know, you'll have hundreds of deer. There's some spots up here um, local that if you go out in the fields, there's hundreds of deer out in the field. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of deer. Those places can handle that. And their doe-to-buck ratio is just trash. But mm-hmm. they could handle that kind of harvest, and they probably could – benefit from that kind of harvest my property 94 acres three tree stands one hunter yeah a dozen to 15 deer and i don't think i can afford to shoot two yeah um so really painting that picture of what your property is and what you want to use and and what your what your herd can actually be you know that'll it almost limits your expectations but if you put 40 acres, you put four stands up, and each one of you access from one side has so much pressure. You're pushing, like I said, with those deer. They push off your property, then the then your neighbor gets kind of crazy in the woods, so they pushes them back, and then it pushes them over. That much pressure back and forth, they're going to relocate. Mm-hmm. And they'll go far enough away, find a spot that isn't pressured, maybe a deep, dark swamp, maybe somewhere that isn't getting uh, attraction right now, from Mm -hmm. from deer hunters um and if they like it so much they might become resident deer there Mm -hmm. well you wonder why you don't have any deer so um 
I'm uh, preferably I'm not going to hunt gun season at my property. I might sit, mm-hmm. but what I'm going to, well, actually I won't be here for much of it because of um, our Montana trip. But um, if I sit, it'll be just to kind of be uh, observe what's happening, but I want my property to be quiet mm-hmm. so that when my neighbors are blasting away, slamming the truck doors, smelling like cigarettes, starting their campfires, setting up tree stands, all those deer relocate and get pushed. Wow. This place with new food plots and plenty of food and, and pretty good hinge cutting. We're just going to hang out here. Eventually after years that fawn does it, then he does it as a yearling then he does it as a two year old. Now I'll know when the pressure increases around me, these deer are, and we've talked about it in the past conditioned mm-hmm. to come to my property and hunker down. Mm-hmm. And, you create that safe zone. They find the sanctuaries, but they find that whole property is a safe zone. Um, you can you can create a resident herd that's bigger, and, and then obviously we can enjoy more harvest as a family. So mm-hmm. um, you have to really be mindful of how many hunters your property can. Forty acres is not a lot of space. No, it's not, and. Not only is there pressure from hunters and predators, uh, which side note on the hunting thing too, if you don't live near your property, make sure you get one weekend sometime at bare minimum, one weekend sometime in the summer, go set your tree stands up so you're not adding to that pressure that they're feeling the week before deer season. Get up there early, get your tree stand set up, now they're there. And this is a tie into our last point on here too, educating the deer. Uh, which we'll get into in just a second. I had a point I was going to make. Oh, white-tailed bucks are not only under pressure from other hunters and predators, they're under pressure from other bucks. So up here, we'll have several. In a 10-mile in square, you might have 10 to 15 pieces that have 10 to 40 acres of woods on them, and then the rest is all ag. There's a lot of ag up here in the northwest corner and throughout other parts of the state. So those bucks, when they feel that pressure from other bucks, they'll go hide by a rock pile in the middle of a black field with a doe that they want to breed. So you'll shoot the nicest buck you've ever seen on a rock pile in the middle of a field. Why is he there? Because there's too much pressure. He can't stand the other bucks. He can't take the hunting. He wants to take his doe somewhere else where he's alone which just happens to be a rock pile where no buck in his right mind would want to be because there's no food, there's no water, there's nothing, but it's alone. Up here, I'm going to do a video once rifle season kicks in. I kid you not, you will see a tree stand or truck or blaze orange every quarter mile. Every quarter mile in every direction. The deer up here are horribly overhunted, but we have a really good population, really good egg. We can sustain that. But we get no age on our deer, and that's a whole another management issue. We can talk about that later. Uh, so predators are too much pressure. Hunting is too much pressure. Deer are too much pressure. And how can we educate our deer to be where we want them to be when there's pressure? So you just talked about how you're going to let your property sit. You're going to be quiet. You're going to let your property be the safe haven during those high-pressure times. So in time with that, educate your deer. 
Go set your tree stands up long before season. Don't do it the same day of season unless you're using a specific type of hunting. So like a climber tree stand, you can get away with that. You walk in, you go up, you go down, you walk out. But if you're going to put up a ladder stand, that's significantly more work. That's if your area, if you haven't stepped a foot on your property all year, putting up a ladder stand the morning before you go hunting, you're, you're chasing everything out of there. They're not used to you being there. So you have to educate your deer to your hunting habits. And we've talked about that several episodes already, I think, with you, mm-hmm. how you, how you access wit's end, preparing for the hunt. Uh, what I've heard some guys do, if they're going to sit in a ladder stand or something along those lines, they'll take a gar- black garbage bag and fill it with, doesn't matter, leaves, clothing, whatever, and they'll set it in their tree stand to make it look like somebody's sitting there. They'll have a, they'll put a, a dummy in their stand the whole time they're not there. So then season comes, they just pull that dummy out and go sit, and it's like nothing changed which isn't a bad idea. I went bow hunting last night in a stand that I don't think anybody sat in for 10 years. Uh, it was on the property when dad bought it. I'm like, I, I like that location. Rumor had it. There was a 170 inch buck walking through there somewhere. So I'm like, I got to try it. Right. He's been seen like half a mile from there two or three times. Like, uh, gotta try <laughs> this. I'd love to shoot that with my bow. Uh, old ladder stand i mean the seats maybe 18 inches wide and 12 inches deep uh whoever put the stand up tied it there with a rope it's not tight to the tree <laughs> and i'm like i'm gonna die in this tree stand no cushions just metal no rail around nothing it is sketchy and it's four feet shorter than i would have had it but anyway long story short i go up there saw three deer and uh Third one busted me from, it was in Oak Grove. I could maybe see third, I could shoot pretty good 30 yards all the way around. I could see 40, 50, 60 in some places. I could see through a little bit more brush up to 70. She busted me at 70 yards sitting there. No wind. She didn't smell me, but Mm -hmm. she saw, she saw me standing next to an Oak tree, 12 feet up right I mean, she was walking down the trail, and she's like, yeah, oh, there he is. And I'm like, get out of town. She stood there for two or three minutes to the point where I'm like, is it a deer? It's so far <laughs> away, it ain't moving. Is it a deer? And then she took off and left. But she didn't snort, so I don't think she busted, busted me. But she's like, hey, that's not right. She yep. had been educated. No, that tree ain't that thick. There's something <laughs> going on there. Not that I'm, like, dummy thick or anything, but you know what I mean, right? So. Yep. I have I have done that. I, I've actually taken a coat hanger, hung it on a branch with an orange vest. And I, the reason I like that is because that thing with the wind, mm-hmm. it moves, it waves, it kind of, it creates that motion. And at, yeah, absolutely. At first they're going to look up and be like, oh, gone. But the fifth time they do it and, and nothing's happened, now we're good, you know. Mm-hmm. And you just when you and I were hunting, you. Yep. When you and I were hunting, you know. You, if you look up at that box blind that we were sitting in, all you see is our shoulders up. There's little heads. They look up and they go, we see you. Like, you're not hiding. It's like, uh, hi. So it, it, it is really important to, my stands are up and in. And I mean, luckily I live in an area and I own property that I don't have to move my stuff. Mm-hmm. I put my stands in specific locations to stay there permanently. Now I might move the stand 
and check the straps and safety situations or change the tree stand to a different one. But those, those situations are set permanently to hunt out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, public don't have that luxury, but you can set it up the week before you can set it up early with it. If it's bow season, you know, in Minnesota, I think if you leave it overnight, it's, it's illegal to leave your stand overnight in Minnesota. Really? And I think, I don't know if it's a first night or after a week, it's considered abandoned property and can be just taken by anybody who wants to. Don't quote me on that. I have not sure. read the regulations in full lately, but these yeah, are what I've gathered from various Facebook posts and stuff like that. So Yeah, and I think stands get taken. Um, they can be, I think in Wisconsin, they can be up to like through muzzleloader season, but then like it's like December 15th or something like that, they have to be taken down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I bow hunt after that, so that really. I if you're gonna hunt public land, I would either go with a ground blind or a climber, something you can carry in and out. Don't bother with a ladder stand. Go with something easy and quick to set up, because uh, yep. that's less pressure on the deer. If you're yep. going in, you're making a bunch of noise, you're getting in late. Now you've caused problems. Yeah, I would like to say you know, we've talked about all the negatives of pressure and, and the predator control and. And all, you know, all of this stuff. But here's a positive with pressure. Exactly what we said with educating deer. You can hunt during these times based on the pressure. Mm-hmm. If you know this whole area of National Forest is super easy to access because there's roads on three sides. And when we drive down the road, every quarter mile, there's a truck and orange. Every, every pull-off is a truck and a truck and a truck. You know where the pressure is. Mm-hmm. So if you go... And I'm going to be very judgmental here. So anybody that's listening, please don't hang me at the street corner. If you take a highlighter to every road and you mark quarter inch wide on the map and you go against every road and you highlight every road a half mile wide, which is quarter quarter mile wide on each side, you'll have a very distinct map to see where there's not hunters. Mm -hmm. The average hunter walks 400 yards in the woods and sets his tree stand up if that if that that. i mean i mean the general pressure is within a half mile of that road roads in the center it's it's quarter mile each way so if you go to your map and you highlight go to your on x and make your marker really wide and just mark that quarter mile you'll see a very distinct place where there's no pressure now if you can follow all the 10 point rules access it use the wind to your advantage get in there quietly Set your tree stand up early in the season, or you know, a ladder or a blind, or a, excuse me, a climber or a blind. You can follow those and get into them holes that are currently not highlighted, which is five eighths of a mile in, three quarters of a mile in from the road. You'll all of a sudden feel a feel a see a con a condensed version of the deer herd because they're bailing off the roads. Mm-hmm. They're getting off these accesses and these trails that all these hunters are and you can if you can plan for the pressure you can hunt in certain areas and benefit from the pressure but you have to outsmart the deer and outsmart the other hunters and you have to work harder you 100 have to work harder but i know a, a personal buddy of mine that has used urban hunting he loves the hunting public he loves urban hunting and he you know within all legal regulations hunts as close you know to towns and to to urban areas um and can successfully do it because 
all the pressure in the national forest happens, them deer get pushed into these towns because, you know, people like feeding them in their backyard. And if you hunt, national forest is close to the highway, gets close to the town. You know, there's legal ways to do that, but you know where they're, them deer have condensed into these areas and are maybe eaten out of backyards. Everybody can argue whether that's ethical or not, but that's, that's besides the point. They're a wild animal. Mm-hmm. They're finding safety and security close to town. And if you're bow hunting or doing it legally, you know, it can be successful kind of playing the backhand of the pressure factor. Mm-hmm. And um, if you can put some time in and, and do that, you could be successful with that too. Absolutely. You can use pressure to your advantage. Uh, so in Kitson County, Minnesota, we have really three distinctive deer herds. Uh, and we can rate them one to three for pressured. Okay. Lowest pressure, number one. Red River Valley, over right by the Red River, North Dakota border. So, tractors 24-7, 365. Those deer are so not pre- – they're so pressured, but they're so accustomed to it that they don't consider it pressure anymore. Uh, so you can push the Red River. We've done deer drives out there before. And you push a half mile by – it's like 150 yards wide at its widest point along woods along the river you can push that shoot three deer off it turn around push it the other direction shoot three more deer because they just come back they're like oh well we're gone oh we're on the field oh we'll go home they don't care they're just so used to stuff happening out there Mm -hmm. uh middle class pressure deer right where we're at here our deer get a lot of pressure but there's enough big woods here where they think they can truly hide uh and they're there's timber wolves here, so they're a lot more on edge. You don't get near as many tri- timber wolves in the Red River Valley because there's not enough big woods. We got a big woods. I, my dad's piece is around 2,000 acres of state land. Uh, there's probably a little bit more than that on both sides of the road. And then there's a lot of big wooded pieces. There's several area. There's one area I think is a, I think it's almost a two-mile square with no roads going through it. A lot of, lot of woods, a lot of swamp, a lot of wolves. And moose occasionally. We get moose back now occasionally. But then there's the third ranked herd. There, If you go up north of Lancaster in Caribou, that's the name of the area. There's not actually Caribou there. The deer are so unaccustomed to human presence because there's just a few cattle farmers up there, gravel pit, not a lot up there. If you slam your car door too loud, you will not see a deer the entire day. They just will leave and they won't come back. They are hyper alert. So there's in one 30 mile square, we have three different herds of deer based on pressure, mm-hmm. based on what they're used to. So if you know that, use that to your advantage. If you're going to go hunt a big woods, that's it's a 10 mile square with no roads going through it. Be ready for some pretty flighty deer. If you're going to mm-hmm. go hunt a 40 acre chunk that's surrounded by field a mile on each direction, you might be able to get away with a little bit more. You might be able to put your stand up that day. You might be able to sit on a rock on the edge of the field and still shoot a deer. You might be able to get away with a lot more because they're used to it. But it depends on the area you're hunting. It depends on the deer. So you got to know the pressure that your deer, that your target deer are facing and act accordingly. Yeah, and, and think about it this way. And I, I'm going to, again, pick on... Pick on the the normal Wisconsin rifle deer hunter. 
uh, man camp, deer camp guy, you know, like Steve Daniels over there. Um, <laughs> Always got mustard in his beard. Right. What's going on, dude? You know? I don't know. But when if you're sitting in your tree stand, what what does the average hunter in Wisconsin do, in my opinion? They get in right at light because they because they drank or they enjoyed themselves the night before, so they barely got up in time, got to the tree stand, the sun's coming up, they're in. Okay, they're ready. Deer season. They sit hard that first day, don't see any deer, which isn't their fault. The next day, they sit again, they don't see any deer. So now they're getting out at 9.30. First it's 10, then it's 9.30, now it's 9. Mm-hmm. Now the weather's kind of crappy, so let's get out at 8.30, let's go get some biscuits and gravy. Fine. But you went in, you bumped those deer out. Now those deer all kind of moved around and meandered back through and kind of got settled for the day. Because during the day, they're going to be in their bedding area. So if you go from the road through the thick stuff in their bedding area, bump them out, eventually they'll meander back into that spot. Now it's 9 o'clock and you're bump, you're getting out of your trees down and bumping them again. At 9 o'clock, they're not really moving. Or, or you know, in, in normal senses, they're not really moving. Mm-hmm. So if you're exiting your tree stand, you're bumping all those deer. Now, pressure guy, the guy that's hunting the pressure is going to make sure he's sitting either outside the bedding or next to the bedding hardcore at that time. So when everybody gets out of the tree stands, those deer are up on their feet forced. They're scared. They're running around. You know, they're, they're trying to figure it out. But you, if you're sitting in your stand, you might see a deer at 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Because Billy over yonder, you know, Steve Daniels over there got out of his tree stand to go get some biscuits gravy and bumped a bunch of deer up. Mm -hmm. Again, that's a way to hunt the pressure if you can commit to that. But you have to really know who's hunting where and, and, you You know. You got to know your neighboring neighboring hunter's hunting habits. Yes. And you talk about, and you talk about up there where you can have a 10 mile square with no roads. There is nothing here like that. If I go on Onyx Maps and I make a quarter mile swath on each side of the road, unless you, I mean, when we do that and we highlight that whole map up, there's not going to, there's going to be spots that are, you know, three, five eighths or three quarters of a mile away from a road. But there's a road three quarters of a mile away on the other side also. Mm-hmm. There's roads everywhere up here. So it, where you might get that perimeter and you might get a big block of, unaccessible or, or too deep or too far of a walk hunting areas we don't have that there's a you know we talked about it when we were at your dad's cabin you said if you walk that way it's two miles to a road if you walk that way it's four miles to the road here if you walk in a straight line for three quarters of a mile you're going to hit a road it's just what happens it's mm-hmm. just that's how that's how wisconsin is built up here um, and it's so but, weird because driving through there, I always feel like, man, if you get out, you're lost. You're going to be miles before you hit road. No. No, if you look at Onyx, which is a great app, there's just walk straight. You're going to get to a road. You're good. Um, there are some thick, nasty spots, but even then, there's not – we don't have sections. We don't have 640-acre sections anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's too many roads and stuff like that. So um, – but if you do that highlighting trick or you, you really think about where these pressure, pressure points are and you can find those sanctuaries and them safe spots and somehow get in there prior mm-hmm. or sit there while people are getting out of their tree stands, you could potentially have some really good luck with that. Some of the nicest bucks my dad's ever shot were shot at noon. 
Yep. So, yep. and I always hear everybody, I got out at 8 30 for biscuit gravy and big Louie shot walked through at 11. We didn't get up because he wanted to. Got up because some some Billy Bob over there almost stepped on him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, that's not why he didn't get up to go eat. He got up because he almost got stepped on and wanted to get out of Dodge. Well, and it's different too because you guys are hunting post rut. We hunt during the rut. Your deer will mm-hmm. move during the rut. They're moving all day long, every yep. eh, all the time. So I got it's a little bit different. Yes, it yeah. is. It is hundred percent. But things are changing in the last two three weeks. You know, bow season started. People got more invested. The the cold temperatures came in, so people got excited for hunting season. So now these woods that have been quiet aren't anymore. Mm-hmm. And these deer are now starting to feel this pressure and get bounced around a little more. And they're going to go. That mature buck that you're hunting, his home range is getting extremely small. And the goal with 10 point and wit's end in this case is to make my spot be the really small homebody. Mm-hmm. I never walk through the sanctuary. I never walk anywhere besides from truck to truck to tr- uh, tree stand. That's it. Yeah. Everything else can wait till after season. So I'm a low pressure. I'm not hunting the pressure besides the fact that I'm trying to keep the property quiet for them to maybe come in. And that's just to draw more, more deer and to maybe keep them as resident deer. Mm -hmm. So, so I think we covered a lot more than we expected to cover with pressure. Uh, We got all excited about it. Yeah. We weren't sure if we were going to make a whole episode here or not with just pressure. And here we are sitting at over an hour. Uh, yeah. So if you made it this far, you're a real trooper because we can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, apparently. Uh, so a uh, couple of last things we're going to say here. We covered pressure. Uh, you can find Lessons of the Woods by 10 Point Whitetails on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Anchor Podcasts. We are currently sponsored by Wallhanger Taxidermy of Cable, Wisconsin. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer in an episode, we're going to hopefully get some fan questions at some point to answer and do uh, not an OnlyFans, but a fans-only podcast maybe. <laughs> uh, no, we're not doing the first one. That's not happening. Uh... Oh, thank you. <laughs> I needed that. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to answer questions. We got lots of good information to share, but otherwise we're just gonna keep going on tangents because that's fun too. So uh, you can catch Lessons of the Woods every Friday at 7 p.m. unless something drastic happens and we don't make it to record or whatever for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, we will see you guys next week. Thank you for watching. Please like, share, and subscribe, and join the Buckboard. Just yes. join it. It's going to be a good time. Who doesn't like sharing their big buck pictures, having them shared on the internet to show that you are a good hunter and got a good deer? We all like or got that. Lucky. Or, or got, got lucky. Or I got lucky. I don't care. I don't care how you shot it. As long as it's legal, mm-hmm. I don't, tell me that was your target deer. I don't care. Tell me it was, you've never seen that deer in your life. I don't care. Um, yeah, join it. I mean, we're going to, what I want from this is to give away more gifts to the people that are on the register but haven't harvested than than really the first three places but you know mm-hmm. you always got to have a first place so yep. um but join it even if you know 
even if you're not really confident with your with your uh, Bucks in your that area. season. Yeah, but I, I I'm gonna tell you this: nobody from Buffalo County has signed up for this thing yet, so nobody's got a distinct advantage. It's 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 very uh, spotty to say the least, as far as locals that me and Dylan have talked to, um, basically begged people to give me five dollars. So, um, uh, but we might go backwards on this, but that's okay. What's that? We might go backwards on this, but that's okay. No, we're going to have a lot of fun and we appreciate it. And if you have any questions, reach out. Yep. All right. That's it for this episode. Uh, we're going to be back next week with more information because that's what we have an abundance of currently. <laughs> so, thank you guys for watching. <laughs>